and welcome to Book City Roanoke. I'm Douglas Jackson, and today we have a special episode. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of a wrap-up of this first season, and I've got as a guest Brad Stevens, who's the producer of uh, the podcast, and his uh, he's got a company that's producing podcasts. It's Agape Podcast. Uh, but before we start in conversation, let me remind you that uh, Book City Roanoke is an exploration of equity and engagement at the intersection of books and place. Now, you can explore our things literary at bookcityroanoke.com. And we have a sponsor, Book No Further, putting ideas in your head since 2017 down on the Roanoke City market, uh, is a, our founding sponsor. And we're really happy to be able to, to put together this first season of 10 episodes. Uh, this is the 11th episode. And um, I've asked Brad to just have a little conversation with me and think a little bit about uh, our theme this year or this season of identity and action and how we saw that play out across our 10 guests. So, Brad, thanks for being here. Well, my pleasure. It's, uh, it's been a joy to listen to and help with this project. Before we dive in, just so folks have a sense of you, tell me a little bit about Brad Stevens. Oh, I never know how to answer that question. I'm a I'm an avid reader, although with a two year old at home, I read a lot of children's books and not as many novels as I used to. Um, uh, still love to read when I have the opportunity. Um, uh, really care passionately about empowering people with good ideas to do powerful things in the community, whether that be uh, in any shape or form. And that's part of what uh, means I love working with you, because you've always got powerful things going on. And we've had a lot, a lot of good opportunities to work together, whether it's been through uh, your work when you were at the CoLab, um, through the CityWorks Expo, through Big Lick Soup, which you brought to the community as an idea. And we had a, a loose co coalition of um, kind of placemakers and excited people that put together, I think, four, four or five rounds. Five, of, yeah, I believe. Yeah, of, of Big Lick Soup. And maybe that'll emerge again at, at some Who point. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I really, I can remember the day I met you um, and I enjoy the, the, the spirit that you bring to the community and it's, and it's grounded in, you've got a master's degree, right? And, mm -hmm. and what's your degree in? So my master's is in forestry, although I don't know anything about trees. So I know a lot about how people respond to trees. Um, so I did a lot of community collaboration work around environmental stuff down at Tech. Yeah, well, it seems to me that you're, you're putting the work that you did at Tech uh, into, into action here in the community. I try. <laughs> Well, uh, what you've been in the room for all these conversations. What did you see in the conversations? You know, I think it really brought to bear the diversity of voices that we have in the Valley and the diversity and value that we have being added by these incredible people. Um, you know, everything from... Um, you know, Heath Hardage Lee, who's writing these best-selling acclaimed books to folks like Ashley Rame, who we just recorded, who are doing uh, really important boots on the ground work in our communities to empower young people and, and share the power of the spoken word. Uh, it just There's a vast diversity of, of exciting things regarding words and books happening in this space. 
Yeah, I, I agree. And you really were the one who, who said, yeah, we need to do a podcast. We need to do a podcast. I think you said it several times. And I was a little resistant at first. And I really do see uh, how this is bringing about a different kind of conversation um, and going deeper. And I've, I've been doing Q&As and you can find lots of uh, Q&As with, with writers and city builders on the website. But this more intimate space, uh, the conversations can, uh, can bring out a lot more. Um, and we gave folks a theme. We said, okay, identity in action. So uh, how the written word has helped define uh, your sense of self and then how you put that to work in the world around you. How did that uh, come to be, that theme? How did you settle on that? Well, I, I think it's pretty fundamental to what Book City Roanoke is. Um, I'm interested in how we engage with books in the community. It's very specific to Roanoke or the, in the surrounding region. Uh, it's specific to books. But um, really, and it's, I guess it's why, it's why I read. Everything I read, it, it's more to think about my place in the world and how to be a better person, whether it's fiction or nonfiction and poetry. I always have that lens. And if, it, if it's not doing something for me that way, I feel like I've not spent my time as well in, in reading it. Well, I'm intrigued to kind of build off of that. Do you find that when you're thinking about that identity, because I think for me, there's a two-pronged aspect to it. There's, I'm learning about myself when I'm reading, but I'm also learning about the broader world at the same time. So there's almost two forms of identity in that, in that space. Yeah, it, exactly. Um, and, I, and I guess you could, I, one thing that you know, I notice across the speakers, you know, we think a lot about how we define ourselves, um, but that's often in juxtaposition to how the world defines us or how, we're, how we feel we're expected to be in the world. And I think maybe that's where I'm most interested hmm. in it. Um, because there, whether it's, you know, however you're going to take action, it often means standing up to um, a system or powers or even a culture that, um, you know, th that you, you enjoy being a part of, but it doesn't mean it's perfect. So where do you find the courage and the sense of um, mission to do that? Yeah. Well, yeah, it makes me think about reading and writing as a rebellious activity almost by its very nature. Um, that in order to write something, you kind of have to want something to change or have to want to communicate something you don't see being communicated right now. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. Yeah. And I'm not a rebellious person. <laughs> don't don't sell yourself short. Though. We know what's going on underneath there. Yeah, yeah. No, no I and I I I love the systems in in play. I you know I think I think a lot of you know elected government. Uh, I think a lot of institutions that are at work in the community. But but yeah, none of them none of them are, are perfect. And you think sometimes you hear the word re rebellious and you think of people who are kind of anti-something all the time. But how do, we, how do we be pro something with so much heart that we can't let it be anything less than the best it can be? Yeah, so I, I think that's part of the exploration. And we've talked to people 
over the 10 episodes have really illustrated, uh, I think both that exploration of self and then, and you know, not to, not exploring it just to, to better know yourself and then to, to be tucked away in a corner somewhere. But how do you, how do you have a stronger sense of awareness and then use that to improve the place around you and to affect people's lives? You know, I think about, um, some of the research that's been out there. It's been mentioned a couple of times. I know Sherry mentioned this, um, Sherry Henry in our uh, podcast with her. And I think it was mentioned a couple other times that there's been some research that shows that uh, reading literary fiction improves your empathy, uh, your capacity to read and understand what's happening with other people. And I think that that's the, in some ways the perfect embodiment of you're looking at you're improving yourself, but also by the very fact that you're improving yourself, you're improving your ability and your compassion and empathy for building a stronger place around you. Yeah, I I fully wholeheartedly believe in that kind of empathy strengthening of of fiction. And and I love films, but I don't think film does it quite the same way. Um, there's something about reading and being so closely aligned with a character or uh, a, a person that you might be surprised that you're aligning yourself with. Yeah. Do you have any characters that you can think of that you've, that you've read that have really, that you feel have been especially effective that way? So um, I'm actually going to go in the opposite direction here because this is, this stands out for me because it's so much, so powerful. Um, uh, um, so two kind of examples. One along the lines of what you mentioned, someone that I empathize with that I wouldn't necessarily uh, disquiet by Coetzee um, is, a, I believe, the, a perfectly written novel. Whether or not it's the best novel in the world, I don't necessarily think, but written very well technically. Um, and you find yourself agreeing and thinking about this man who's a pretty horrible man in the end of the day. Uh, but then on the flip side, I think about... Um, East of Eden, which I have attempted to read, I think, three or four times at this point and have not been able to finish because I get so angry, viscerally angry with the characters involved. And that it's able to elicit, if you if you know me, uh, and Doug can attest to this, I am not a person that rises to anger very quickly. And so it's, but that book gets me every time. <laughs> the, the, I forget the woman, I blocked her name out of my mind, but uh, that character uh, just gets my goat every time in a way that nobody else has been able to do. So mm -hmm. how about yourself? Um, well, I'm, I'm still kind of hanging on, hanging on yours for a second, I think. Um, and I, I wonder, I've had responses like that where I've been upset at a book. And then I feel if I, maybe that's more reason to stick through it. And there's something, it, you know, some kind of enlightenment there at the end or some kind of transformation either for, for the character or for me. Uh, and yeah, I, as far as specific books, I'm glad I asked the question because I really didn't have an answer for myself. <laughs> um, but I will, I will point to, um, well, let's see, Joe Cobb talked about beloved, mm. uh, and I thought that was a really powerful one. Um, certainly the experience of the main character is not something that I would identify with, um, you know, on the, on the surface, and then I found myself really identifying um, 
with her through the through the end of it, and you mm. and you and you watch the actions of characters, and you and you and you say, well, that's not what I would do. I how that, why is this character acting in this way? You know, what's the system in which is in which this character is acting this way, or that's forcing her to? And I think that was a, and I was glad he brought that book in because it was a great example of, um, you know a defined identity, how a, a society creates an identity for you and what you have to do to step out of that. Um, I thought that was really powerful. Um, yeah, same. The Color Purple kind of fills that place in my my mind. Along, and actually, uh, who is on my mind, because we just record with her, um, anything by James Baldwin kind of fits that you know, destroying these these stereotypes that we build up and building up a new, having the capacity and 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 strength to build a new identity for yourself, and uh, hopefully empowering us in that same same way. It's you know, it's you know, I think about the bell jar um, as immensely difficult of a read and uh, uh, and leaving you in a terrible place, but also feeling somehow empowered at the end of it. You know. To, to step out on your own and, and do what needs to be done. I, it's hard for me to put into words because I myself am not an author, but those books have an incredible capacity to do those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then, so we, so certainly from, from reading, uh, we can, you know, better understand ourselves. Um, and then there's also the writing aspect. And we heard, we heard from from both during the season, uh, and and on the reading side, we heard from the Raleigh Court Book Club who had who had read the Second Mountain by David Brooks, and I thought that was an interesting conversation, and and part of that kind of identity, like who define who who defines you or your place in the world, you know, there's I mean we're defining ourselves um, often, uh, and whether you know it's you know, through the support of the folks who raised us and the schools we went to and the expectations of what success is supposed to be, I guess, in the, in this country. Um, but breaking out of that, um, you know, talking about journaling, Ashley talked about journaling some, um, we had, uh, Catherine Hankla who wrote some, some really powerful essays, uh, about place and, um, in this, the sense of self. And then our, our, you know, Brian Hancock, the, uh, performing artist and, and poet, uh, he helped us think through some of that as well. Um, the, how the action of writing, uh, helps you, uh, better understand. And you don't even know quite what you're doing sometimes until you, until you get the the pen on the paper um, and something comes out and you know wh- wh- where did that come from? Yeah, are you a writer? Uh, I have attempted to be in the past, but no, I would not consider myself do, a writer. The, the, the journaling though, do you do? I anything? do journal. Yeah. Uh, that's been one of my New Year's resolutions this year that I've done a pretty good job sticking to. So. Um, I, although I will say, I, my journal entries are letters to my two-year-old daughter that I write, try and write her a letter every day about that day, so, which makes it more fun for me. And so if you're looking for an end of journaling, I would recommend it as a... I, that sounds like a terrific way in. I, I, have a, I struggle with it because it, it, it yeah. 
Like well, in, in the past, it's felt very narcissistic to be like, I'm going to write about me. And now this makes it like, you know, I'm writing to you. I'm trying to impart something to you. And it's still, you know, there's still an ego aspect to it. But uh, it feels better in some ways than any other time I've tried to do it. So, Yeah. And, I, and when I often, you'll, in the literary criticism or the author's category, there'll be, um, you'll find journals of writers. Uh, but I, if there are letters from writers or collected letters or letters from writers to writers, I'll, off, I'll, I'll immediately pick those up rather than the, the journal. Well, it is. You know, I, um, uh, terrible person though he may be, I am a Mince Edward Abbey fan, and he wrote, uh, I have a collection of his letters from home, which I just, I love, uh, including my favorite one being one he wrote to Cormac McCarthy uh, upon reading uh, No... Uh, Blood Meridian, another one of my favorites. He wrote, uh, this was wonderful, but I fear for your soul. And that was essentially the entire letter. And I was like, that's pretty accurate (laughs) (laughs) representation. But to see these authors interact with each other is pretty pretty phenomenal. And I think we've learned throughout the season some of the creative processes, whether it be, you know, feeling the flow of certain things and like certain people that find a time that now's the time to write poetry versus prose and now um, or the more structured I'm going to sit down and I have um, or you know I've found that I've done these collection of poems that fit together around a random theme I'm now going to intentionally write some more around the same kind of theme you know it's uh, it's an interesting split between all the different kinds of styles out there and it's inspiring to see these people in our community and from my perspective sitting across the table with them to see how normal they are because we often think of authors as different and above and out there in a space that we can't occupy when really uh, it's been uh, very refreshing to see how human they all are yeah and I, th- I think that's a that is a that is a great theme you know as far as, far as identity and action it's a big it's a big barrier, right? That, um, and in some cases it's the sense of ourself that we project out there or what we think we want people to see. And often, often there's a, there's, you know, kind of a outer shell to that. that has got to get kind of busted through, um, where some of the, you know, the most, some of the best creativity, um, the best connection in a community, the um, the best work we can do happens through that sense of, well, yeah, I'm, I don't have it all together, um, but let's figure this out together. Or, hey, I'm really struggling with this. Can you can you help Can you help me with it? Um, I think that that's pretty that's pretty powerful. And part of what, part of what I'm learning this year, I think, as well. Hmm. When you think of the um, Heath Hartage Lee, one of our first guests, and the bio- she's a biographer, and her most recent book, The League of Wives, focusing on the wives of Vietnam War POWs and what they had to rise to in order to to really advocate to bring their husbands home. And I, I keep thinking about that transition of that time that they were in from very conservative time to less conservative time. Um, there were military wives that had to really buck the system. Um, and that, I think that's, 
that's kind of held with me throughout throughout this season as well. I I think. Well, I think that speaks to me. You know, we were commenting before we started recording that with both. Uh, with several of the folks that have read poetry on here, that there's a, a notable difference in timbre and tone of voice when they start reading the poem. And I think that speaks to me that of a kind of a theme that builds into this throughout the whole season around this identity question, which is that I think that um, we've kind of uncovered, and I think we all know this on some level, but that our we don't have a single identity, that our identities are very complex. And so that, you know, going to Heath Hardge Lee's point that these these women had an identity and they had to construct a new identity for themselves that was in so many cases radically different from anything they had ever been faced with before and yet they rose to the task and in the same way we see that our poets may not uh, may be quiet soft-spoken people but when you put a microphone in front of them they come to life in a way that we don't see in other places and just a recognition that those identities are always more complex than we can ever, and I think that's, you know, um, uh, uh, I don't know if I sent you this quote or not, but there was a line that stuck me with me forever that the point of literature is to uncover the endless, essentially the endless complexities of the human experience, that there is no, anything that diminishes that or simplifies the human experience is not good literature in some ways, and I, that very much resonates for me. Yeah, I think, I want you to send, send me that quote. I, I really agree with it. Uh. Then and with the performance part uh, and hearing from Ashley and hearing from Brian and I can I can picture the 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 graphics of the voice with Brian uh, and there's something about when he you know turns it on and he's performing especially in that environment he sets in soul sessions there's something about um, and, and you see other other poets or spoken word artists in that environment doing the same thing. There's a lot of strength uh, that comes behind the voice when they start to, to do the poem. Uh, and there are often tough issues that are being you know, things that they're wrestling with uh, and hard times that they've gone through. Uh, but part of that, you get the sense, yeah, there's a message to others out there that, that you can, you can address it with with strength that you have the strength within you um so it, it can be pretty powerful there at soul sessions every other wednesday night uh <laughs> down at morning brew coffee at the talman museum and i wanted to ask you uh one of the other things that's come through for me um and you know this dates back to one, another one of our very early episodes which was with um uh, marissa blankenship from the um Star City Reads program, and we've seen a kind of common thread throughout, which engaging at a young age, folks, with the literary world is vitally important. And I wonder how that stuck out to you and what your experiences with that have been. I, you know, I, I think it's critical. I'm so excited about what's happening here in the community, whether it's through the Turn the Page Foundation, uh, Star City Reads, which includes Turn the Page and all the, like, I think 30, over 30 partners now who are really focused on the third grade reading level uh, with the idea of, yeah, if, you, if a kid can learn to read by third grade, then they can read to learn anything else beyond that. And I just, you just project forward and say, if, you know, if we're putting, if we're putting books in the, in the tiny hands of babies when they're born in, at the hospital, uh, and they, each baby born in the Roanoke hospital gets two, um, two board books. You know, if we're doing that and we create a new generation of readers, um, 
that's got to do something pretty powerful that we may not even know what it what it's doing. But well, again, yeah, there's another study that came out that suggested the single greatest indicator of academic achievement is whether or not you have 30 books in your home when you're a child, and if you have more than 30, then you have a massive advantage. And so it's not necessarily the parents' education of any of those kind of things. It's do you have books in your house when you're growing up? So the more that we can get books in the hands of children to take home, I think it's a very powerful thing. Yeah. And that has been one of my favorite questions that we've asked some folks. We haven't asked everybody, I don't think. We've asked most of them about a, a book that was important to them early or who first put that book in their hand. And how about you? What um, what got you going on books? So this is uh, perhaps not what most people would think of, but um, are you familiar with Tintin mm-hmm. books? So the Tintin comic books were the books that really, I started reading it and I was like, oh, reading can be fun. And then that led to all of the other reading that followed after that. So, um, it, you know, it doesn't have to be the standard things in some way, I guess would be my takeaway. You don't have to start with literary fiction. You can start with, and we see it all the time. I mean, how many young adults do we know that read young adult fiction that most of us, or maybe just me, can't stand? But uh, <laughs> like, I do not want to have to read The Hunger Games ever again. <laughs> but if it gets someone interested in reading, it's all the more worth it in many ways. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, and, and it's part of, you know, I, yeah, I love books. And my, I got that love of books from my family, from my mom in particular. And... And occasionally I say, I, I live in Roanoke, but I don't have family here. Why am I here? And that's how, I, that's how Book City Roanoke came about, because I want to live in a community that values books, that has literary conversations, that believes in the power of books. Um, and if, we, if that's what I want in a community, can't, shouldn't I be doing everything I can to make, make it happen? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, and and as far as as far as early books, oh gosh, even those little golden books, just the spine. I can see the spine of them right now with that foil. No, I, I will give a shout out here to Bill Pete. If you're not familiar with Bill Pete's children's books, uh, they were what I grew up on, and it's part of why I'm an environmentalist now. So if you care about environmentalism, Bill Pete is the way to go. They may be a little heavy handed, but you can get past that. So. <laughs> Great. We'll put that. We'll put links to some of these books on the on the um, blog post for the for the podcast. And so we're, we're wrapping up this season and it makes me think, oh yeah, we need to be thinking about the next season. And have you had any thoughts for what a theme might be for us for the next season? Or what are you interested in exploring in the, in the bookish world around Roanoke, Virginia? Hmm. Uh, I have not put my thinking hat on around this, but there's lots to explore. You know, I think about, um, as much as I, at this point, don't read and kind of the first thing to turn me off of a book is coming of age. Uh, but I think that there's something to be said for, if, especially with this theme we've uncovered of the importance of engaging youth in that space. I think that's something that might be interesting as well as kind of a question about rebirth or renewal, I think is an interesting question as we look at a community that seems to be at a point where it needs to perhaps figure out what it's going to be in the next 50, 20 years. Um, that that's an interesting question, I think, for us to grapple with. I think How so. About yourself? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, 
And maybe we should put we'll put a little survey on yeah, the I on like the blog that, yeah. and and ask folks what they think, um, either around theme or or topics around renewal, coming of age. Um, yeah, I think that would be. I think that's a great way to do it. <laughs> uh, and I know I know one thing. And if there's anyone out there who is a b- bibliotherapist, let me know because I would love to dive into that a little bit as well. Um, and, and the idea that we can, through literature, like kind of, um, yeah, ad- ad- you know, address some of what's happening inside our our minds. Um, well, that wraps up our session for uh, today um, and wraps up our first season, Identity in Action, the first season of Book City Roanoke. Uh, I want to thank our sponsor, Book No Further on Roanoke City Market. If you want to have some good book conversation and see what's on the shelf, stop down and see Dolores Vest on the market, Roanoke's historic market. I want to thank Brad for all of your work this season, uh, helping to produce this and encouraging me to get uh, the podcast going. And I want to invite uh, listeners and readers uh, to visit bookcityroanoke.com, where we're going to continue exploring the intersection of equity and engagement uh, at the intersection of books and place. Um, And thank you, and we'll see you at season two.